Well, let's turn in our Bibles uh, back to 1 Timothy, and as you do that, I'm going to start our PowerPoint that will hopefully guide us through uh, the morning, and um, there should be some notes on the back chair, and I'm looking at all of you. We may have run out of notes. Um, Do we need to make more, Lacey? Are we good? Okay. Okay, so if you need if you need some notes, just slip your hand up so Lacey knows how many to... Looks like maybe four or five, maybe six. Okay, and for those of you at home, of course, you can find those notes on the uh, Sunday School Resources website where it says current notes there. So, Okay, so 1 Timothy. What's going on in 1 Timothy? Paul, uh, who was heavily invested in the church in Ephesus. You remember that? He was there, and, and in the book of Acts, we read about his... Uh, tearful goodbye as he left, having been there for a number of years. Uh, he leads, he leaves his, his, um, uh, spiritual son, that they weren't biologically related, but, but his, his disciple, the, the one that he had poured so much time and effort into spiritually, a guy named Timothy. He leads, he leaves Timothy in Ephesus because, uh, that church that Paul helped to establish and, and grow, uh, has ran into some struggles. And we learn a little bit about those struggles through the letter of 1 Timothy. So Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus. Uh, Timothy's one of the elders there. There's some things going on. And then Paul writes 1 Timothy to Timothy uh, to give him some helps and some reminders and, and some guidance on how to address those things that had come to Paul's attention. And so what, what we... Our benefit of this letter, I mean, there's lots of benefits, but, but one of the ways we benefit from it is simply by um, uh, thinking it like this, that, that as we heed Paul's instruction, as we hear what he says, we're getting instructions for what a healthy church should look like, or, or we, we might call it rebuilding a broken church or, or addressing church challenges. And uh, so, so this is very helpful to us as we strive to be a healthy church and as we try to anticipate some of the challenges that maybe this same church in Ephesus faced and, uh, and know what to do in that situation. So um, just by way of review, since we, we've covered a lot already in the first chapter and a half, uh, one of the first things that Paul told Timothy is you, you have to deal with false teaching. This is an ongoing issue in an imperfect world. There's always going to be... Um, ideas and thoughts about God and ministry and life and decision-making that, that all fall short of biblical standards. So we're always having to correct things that are out of alignment with the Word of God. And in some cases, as is in the case uh, with this situation, there are actually teachers in the church, probably elders in the church, that are teaching wrong doctrine. What do you do when your leadership's divided, right? What do you do when, when those who are supposed to teach you are off in terms of their biblical teaching? So Paul uh, starts off his letter telling Timothy how to deal with that. And as part of that, he's reminded of his own testimony, that he was once a blasphemer. He was once someone who was a false teacher, and God rescued him. And, and it reminds us again that, that God is in the business of changing lives. And you know, even as we prayed for family members a moment ago, uh, we don't give up hope, because God is a God who redeems and saves and transforms even those that we say, oh man, there's no hope for that person. Um, Paul didn't have that perspective. He knew it in his own life. And he reminds us that the gospel is powerful to change lives. Uh, the main command of the book is for Timothy to keep the faith by fighting for the faith. Uh, we said before that the Christian life is never called a cruise, a vacation, a holiday, a walk in the park, a nice bike ride. Um, that's not Christianity. And, and Christianity is a war, a fight, a race, a battle, a conflict. 
And, and that the, one of the ways we preserve the unity and, and purity of our church is by fighting the fight of faith. Not, not fighting with one another, of course. That's part of what's going on here. But, but fighting the fight of faith. Meaning we, we fight, we put effort and, and sweat and resolve into maintaining sound doctrine and loving one another and resolving conflict in a biblical way and addressing problems in ways that please Jesus. And, and we have, and you know this, right? Any relationship in life is like that. You, you, the, the, the value, the, the, um, not the value, the, 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 the quality of that relationship is very much a product of what you're putting into it. And Paul says, we need to fight for the faith, right? We need to fight for Christianity and purity and, and dealing with these things here. Um, we talked last time, this is two weeks ago, the last time that we talked about First Timothy, is that we need to be a church who prays, especially for leaders, and I hope that you took up my challenge a couple of weeks ago and that in your prayer journal you have some sort of reminder on your phone or in your notepad or maybe you're just making it a habit to pray for especially our governmental leaders, our president, our vice president, our senators, our elected officials, all the way down to our own city council and mayor right here in Granbury or wherever you happen to live. And um, that, that, that is God's will. Uh, we, we will be a healthy church when we are a praying church. And we're going to talk more about that theme here in a moment, but, but especially to pray for leaders. And remember, um, Paul, Paul's asking basically for prayer for the Roman Empire and, and the um, Caesar and, and the officials and the dictators. And, 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 you know, if he was confident... If he was confident that there was salvation possible even at that level with, with that degree of dictatorialship and, and, and horrible corrupt government, then, then we can have a confidence that God can work in our day and age as well. But we need to pray. And as part of that, uh, he reminds us, this is where we left off last time, that there is one God, this is chapter 2, verse 5, and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. And he says, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. That uh, This reminds us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by him. But remember the context, and this is, again, as we go into our holiday season, this is a good reminder that God is able to save anyone, that, that he is, as, as the song says, he is mighty to save, isn't he? And uh, Paul reminds us through his own testimony, he reminds us in praying for governmental leaders that uh, Jesus is the one mediator between God and men, and, and we know that verse 3 tells us God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So we pray for that, and we, we minister with that goal in mind. Okay, well, that kind of brings us up to speed for today. So if you want to grab your notes and follow along, let's, uh, uh, let's get our feet wet here in this next section, okay? Look at verse 8. Therefore, therefore, good transitional phrase, right? So Paul's kind of looking backward in light of what I just said about praying in particular, about fighting in the faith in particular. He's going to expand on that thought now with this idea. We need to train men and women to pursue godliness. Train men and women to pursue godliness. Listen to this. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls, or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. 
Uh, so, so here's the point. Healthy churches are churches where men and women are growing in godliness. Um, a stagnant church becomes an unhealthy church very quickly. Uh, Christians that are not actively growing leads to disunity and problems and struggle. So, All right, so I'm just going to go George Whitfield on you here and, and go for it. So we'll come back to this. Okay, so um, you can follow along in your notes, and I'll try to make clear what the blanks are going to be, and, and the Internet should pop back up here in just a moment. So, Okay, so, so let's look at this. Uh, so on your notes there, um, train men and women to pursue godliness, okay? So, so notice the, the first sort of sub-point there that comes out of verse 8. Godly men should pray and avoid anger and arguing. Godly men should pray and avoid anger and arguing. Um, I said a healthy church is a praying church, right? Let, let me qualify that even more. A healthy church is where the men in particular, are praying. Um, not, not because women's prayers aren't just as important. That's not it at all. It's, it's that there is a God-designed role of leadership that God has given to men both in the church and in the home, and prayer is the basic way, brothers, that we lead and we care for our families and we care for one another. Um, John Bunyan, the, um, the man who wrote uh, The Pilgrim's Progress, you know that book, says, um, we can do many things after we have prayed, but we really can do nothing else until we have prayed. Uh, and as, as counterintuitive as that might sound, because prayer doesn't feel productive, and for those of us men that, that like productivity, you know, we get out there and do something, work with our hands. We need to remember that, that prayer is the serious business of spiritual leadership. And so godly men, it says here, should pray. Um, and, and what do you think it means they're lifting up holy hands? I remember as a new Christian, I thought that that was instructions about a posture of prayer, that men should pray with lifted hands. And, you know, there are times in the Bible where men and women both pray like that. There's nothing wrong with praying with your hands like that. But, but he's not talking about the posture of prayer here. He's not saying when you pray, lift up your hands. Notice what he says. Uh, I want every man, men in every place to pray, lifting up what kind of hands? Without wrath and dissension or anger and dissension. Yeah. So what's he saying? The, the lifting up of hands is not a physical posture. Lifting up of hands is a metaphor for how you're treating one another. So he says, I want the men to pray and in their interactions with one another to do it, quote unquote, with holy hands, meaning they're, they're letting God's righteousness and God's holiness guide how they're interacting with other people. And that's why he qualifies it there by saying without wrath and dissension. Um, you know, I, I can we just admit, guys, that, that anger is something we deal with regularly, isn't it? And when we get frustrated with people, when we're trying to do a job, when we're trying to, you know, even even you know, serve in the church, that, that anger and frustration and, and um, th- those things can be realities of how we uh, what we struggle with. And so Paul says here, I want the men to pray 
and then to lift up holy hands, meaning to, to interact with one another in holiness without wrath and dissension. Interestingly enough, the praying comes first, dealing with your anger comes second. And that just reminds me that, that maybe, maybe I'm not winning the battle of anger in my life because I'm not following the instructions. That praying first is the prerequisite, right? To dealing with people in a way that is holy and kind with wrath, without wrath and dissension. Notice the second part here, speaking to women. Godly women should be modest in dress and focus on good works, not outward adornment. Now, now ladies, don't, don't get nervous on me here. Uh, you're like, I didn't know there was a dress code today, Pastor Keith. Uh, no, no, that's not where we're going. Um, <clears throat> look at this. Look at verse 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair or gold and pearls or costly garments. Now, if you stop right there, you're thinking, oh, when I became a Christian, God wants me to be frumpy for Jesus. That's what it's saying here, right? I can't, I can't do this. And, 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 if, and if, if you just looked at that verse, you, you might feel like I can't do my hair and I can't wear a nice dress and I got to get rid of my jewelry. But, but, but ladies, look closely. That's not what he's saying. Look at the next verse. He says, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing. See, modestly and discreetly, yes, that's biblical. Modest dress, discreet dress, not, not flashy, not drawing attention to yourself. I mean, that, that's true. But, but then when he talks about you know, braided hair and golds and pearls, l- listen to the contrary. He's saying, don't put all your emphasis on the outside in terms of drawing attention to yourself and, and in terms of thinking that's the way to mainly put your time and effort in terms of adorning yourself. No, no, no. As a, as a Christian, look at what he says here, verse 10. Instead, put your effort on what? Good works, right? As is proper for a woman, women making claim to godliness. So, so essentially what he's saying is, ladies, it, it, you don't have to be frumpy for Jesus. It's okay to have nice clothes and whatnot, but, but don't put all your effort there. Don't, don't make that the, the, the place where you put all your effort. Instead, focus on what he's going to say in First Peter is, is the quiet person of the heart, right? The, the, the good works, the quality of who you are. Okay, so, so, so here we go. So godly women should be modest in dress and focus on good works, not outward adornments. That, it's not, don't, it's be frumpy for Jesus. That's not it. It's that don't put all your emphasis on the outside. Don't listen to the lie of the culture that says that's your value. That, that's what really matters. Listen to what God says, which is the most important thing is the type of person you are here and focusing on good works um, as a means of that. Okay? So you get it? A, a healthy church is a church where men and women are growing in godliness. We have men that are praying and that are, are, are interacting with other people in, in the opposite of things like gentle, or, uh, anger and wrath, that they're gentle, they're kind, they're loving, they're holy, lifting up holy hands, meaning they're ministering to one another uh, in a way that honors God. Women, likewise, should be modest in their dress. Um, that's that's important to um, to not not draw the wrong type of attention, right? And yet to focus on good works, not that outward adornment. Okay, and that's um, and uh, and I, I just I'm grateful for all of you because I think as we as the leadership think about our church, we think you know we we have a church of men and women that are growing, that are pursuing these things, and uh, so so keep up the good work there. Um, now he's going to move on to talk about uh, roles. And, and this is where uh, this gets a little bit dicey and we get to one of the hardest verses in the whole Bible to uh, interpret. And because of our tech issue, sadly, we won't have time to get to that today. Looking at the time here. No, just kidding. Uh, 
Hopefully we'll get there. Um, I, I, don't, I won't get out of it that easily. Okay, so let's think about this. Um, so as we train men and women to be godly, that leads very naturally to talking about, well, what roles does God want them to play in the church? And, and again, reading between the lines, we look at this and we recognize that probably what Paul was dealing with with Timothy in the church in Ephesus was some sort of corruption of the biblical roles. I don't know if we've got, you know, women pastors going on here or, or women that are teaching inappropriately or whether we have men that are out on the golf course or the lake fishing instead of leading the church so the ladies are like okay i guess we got to do it you know i don't know what the scenario is but but in some way the the roles in the church for men and women have been distorted and are not where they need to be so paul's going to offer a correction here okay so let's look at the next verses uh, so, but rather, um, so men are praying, right? Women are dressing modestly and focusing on good works. Verse 11, a woman must receive, must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow women to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet for it was not Adam who was first created for what, excuse me, for it was Adam who was first created then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. What does that mean, Pastor Keith? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. But, but let's talk about biblical roles, okay? And again, if, if you're a new Christian or, or maybe, maybe uh, for whatever reason you read this, especially for, for the ladies here, you read this and you go, that doesn't sound very good to me, you know, okay, I just, let's, let's let the Bible speak for itself, and then what we're going to do next week is, uh, we're going to do one pass through this verse today, and then next week, I want to zoom out and talk to you in a broader way about the roles that God intends for men and women uh, as we learn of them in the whole Bible, and hopefully between last, uh, next week and this week, that will give us a full comprehensive uh, look at it. The reason that, that I want to pull the car over a bit and, and talk about roles is I think this is one of the, like Paul's day, I think this is one of the battle lines today. Um, what we think of as biblical roles for men and women in the home and in the church, those are being attacked right now. And, and the crazy thing is, it, it's, it's, um, it's a spiritual autoimmune disorder. You know what an autoimmune disorder is? It's, it's where your own body's protection system starts attacking you. And that's what's happening in the church today. It's like people that believe in the biblical roles for men and women are attacking those roles. Does that make sense? It's a spiritual autoimmune disorder. You've got people that affirm biblical complementarity that are actually cutting off the branch that they're sitting on. They're actually attacking complementarity, thinking that this is, this is a good thing to do. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, Come back next week and I'll, I'll lay that out a little more for you. But suffice it to say, we need to really, really be careful to hear what Scripture says about the roles that God has for men and women. Okay, So, so let, let's break this down here. First of all, notice that, that Paul uh, teaches here, this is the, the, the biblical principle, that women should avoid teaching men or having authority over them. And that's very clear in verse verses 11 and 12. And we think, well... Again, if we were to just take that out of context and go, man, maybe God has a thing against women. Maybe, maybe men are just better teachers than they are. And that's why we've got to be really careful. What is the Bible saying and not saying? Okay, we'll, we'll talk next week about how God made both men and women in His image. 
both men and women are image bearers. They're, they're equals in terms of their creation, in terms of uh, dignity and worth and, and, and ability to bear God's image and reflect his image. So the, whatever these role distinctions are going to be, we should not take them in a way that is sliding men or women, that is demeaning men or women, that, that is saying one is better than the other, because that, that's just not the biblical message. Uh, just like in family and in society, and um, I bet even at your job or workplace that people have different roles and that people just can't do whatever they want to do, right? Um, you know, I got... I got Two teenagers that work at two competing chicken places in town. We're, we're like the divided chicken home, you know. You may have a mixed marriage, like a, a UT fan is married to an A&Mer or something like that. Well, we got competing chicken people in our house, you know. And uh, and I can tell you, when I talk to them, it's very clear that they each have a role to do. And you know, they they can't just go in to the chicken place and do whatever they want to do. That they can't do what the boss is going to do. They can't tell the boss what to do. Right? They can't just take over and do it their way. And, and wherever you go in society, there are proper roles that allow that entity to function in a way that's healthy and productive. And that's no different in the church, and it's no different in the home. So women should avoid teaching men or having authority over them. You say, well, why is that? That doesn't make sense. Well, notice what he says, verse 13. He says, uh, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. We'll look at this in detail last time, next time, but you guys know your Bible's well enough to understand this, right? When God created Adam and Eve, he created Adam first. Not, not because Adam is better, but because Adam was designed by God even before the fall. This is not a concession when sin comes into the world. This is God's good design that God intended for the husband, for the man to be the spiritual leader. And that's why he's created first. That's why he's given authority to name animals. That's why he's given the instructions that God gives him that he then passes on to his wife. Uh, and you'll remember that God then says, you know what? It's not good for a man to be alone. Genesis 2.18. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Uh, sometimes it says like this, that man, man was made needing help. Yeah, that's true. Um, and woman was made to help. Okay, they're oriented differently, right? They're, they're designed differently in that regard. And so God, God, even in the creation, before sin comes into the world, demonstrates that distinction of roles in Adam's being made first and his commissioning and his uh, commands and whatnot uh, there. And then Eve is made to be his complement, to be his helper. You know, it's not, it's not a slight to be called uh, God's helper because that's some of the same language that's used of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. It's some of the same, uh, the, the same uh, submission language. I know sometimes that's, that's a difficult word, uh, and, and yet that's some of the same terminology used when it tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, would submit to the will of his Father. So, so submission is not bad in and of itself. Uh, it's part of God's good design to make the relationship or to make uh, the system work the way it's intended. The second thing he says here about why this shouldn't happen is that uh, the nature of men and women shows a difference in roles. Look at verse 14. He says, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, we're going to talk about this next time because Paul's not saying <laughs> that Adam wasn't responsible. And in fact, and you, you guys check this out, okay? When we talk about Romans, Pastor Terry just finished Romans, Paul has a whole chapter in Romans about how Adam blew it. 
Because Adam, as the spiritual leader, as, as the representative of humanity, uh, when he chose to sin, it brought all of humanity into sin. And so in saying here the woman was the one being deceived, don't read that as Adam wasn't responsible. In fact, in, at one level, Adam was even more responsible as he carried the shoulders on his shoulders the leadership, not just for his own family, but really for the whole human race. What Paul's point is here, and you need to get this, is that it was never God's intention for a woman to be put in a position where she could be tempted like Eve was tempted. One of the things we're going to see, and, and uh, we'll do it next time, but you know the story well enough, is that there's, there's Eve in the garden. Here comes the serpent to tempt her. And the serpent engages in this conversation. The, the serpent puts Eve in a place that God did not intend for Eve to be in terms of the leadership of her home. She, the serpent isolates Eve away from her husband and takes advantage of that in order to deceive her. And that's what Paul is saying here is that's to, to, to put a woman in a place where she's in that role goes against God's good design and makes her vulnerable. It makes her vulnerable to temptation. That's his point. Now, again, when we go back, we'll read this next time. When you read Genesis 3, this, there's this conversation between Eve and, and the serpent, and they're going on and on and on. And finally, right, she, she, she gives in. She eats the fruit she shouldn't have eaten from. And, and the narrator tells us, and she gave also to her husband who was with her. And he, so, so what's that picture? You know, sometimes we picture it, the, the kid's story Bible, that, you know, there, there's Eve, you know, Adam, Adam's off fishing. Um, there, there's Eve, right, and she's out, and Adam's not right, and he's, no, 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 he's standing right there! And he says nothing. You know, when, when we talk about the challenge of the passive spiritual male, that's not just a contemporary phenomenon. That, that's where it started, guys. It started with a man not taking a role of protection and spiritual leadership and initiative in the garden when he should have stepped up and told that snake, get away from my wife. So Paul's point is, we don't want to repeat that scenario with passive spiritual men and women being put in places of spiritual leadership that makes them vulnerable to temptation. Does that make sense? We're, we're trying not to not repeat that over again. So that's, that's why he says women should avoid teaching men or having authority over men. Now, I know uh, the deception of Eve, notice this, verse 15, the deception of Eve does not mean, though, that women cannot be saved. Because you, know, you say, Paul, man, you know, you're saying that, that woman was the one that was deceived and, and, and fell into transgression. And maybe the question is, well, you know, she's beyond hope. And that's what leads to this last little verse that's so difficult, right? He says, um, uh, but um, women will be preserved for the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restate. So what does that mean? Well, the main thing, ladies, that this means is that even though Eve was sort of the one to initiate the act, Adam is even more responsible, we know that, that doesn't mean that women are beyond salvation any more than men are beyond salvation, as Paul talks in Romans. So what does this mean? 
what it means is um, women can be saved, right? We saw that. that, that that's the context, right? He says uh, back in chapter 2, verse 3, that God, or verse 4, God desires all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And he's saying this is true for men and women. And, of course, in, in Paul's culture, it would be radical. Listen to me. It would be radical to offer the same spiritual provisions to women as were offered to men. The, the, the Bible in this passage, as it does throughout uh, the, the both testaments, commends women as equal image bearers and, and, and shows us that Jesus died to save women just as much as he died to save men. And, and uh, it was a very, very sexist society both in Palestine and the Roman culture. So he's saying women can be saved. And notice here, it says here, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. What that's saying is the faith and love and holiness and self-control evidence that a woman is truly walking with God. You say, well, how, how does she do that? Well, we already learned, right? There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So it's, it's trust in Christ that brings about her salvation. Um, you say, well, what's the, what's the reference to childbearing? Um, there, there's debate on here. Those of you that have MacArthur study Bibles can read MacArthur's view, which is a little bit different. But here's my best understanding of this. And, and I'll just be honest. I, th- this is one of those passages that, that nobody is like really confident this is what it means. Okay, what do, what do we know for sure it means? It means women can be saved, that Jesus is sufficient for their salvation. And we know that that salvation is through him, through faith alone, as we see earlier in the passage. So when he says women can be saved through childbearing, probably what what he means is childbearing is shorthand for a way of referring to a woman's role in her home. So instead of pursuing leadership in the church, uh, you know, in, in that sense, women should embrace their role in the home. And that's one of the good works which shows her faith to be real. It's, it's, it's not... I do childbearing, I raise kids. It, it's not that that qualifies her to be saved. That's not it. What, what Paul is saying is when women accept their role and follow it, that evidences true salvation and demonstrates uh, women being saved just like men. Okay? And, and if you're a little bit confused going, that wasn't apparent in the text, well, you're in good company because it's not apparent. You, you have to... You have to kind of figure out what does he mean by this and what does he mean by that. I think that's that's my best shot at it. Uh, MacArthur has a little bit different of a view and others have different view. Uh, what, what we know it's not saying is that there's some sort of uh, there, there's some sort of work that a woman would have to do in order to be saved. We, we know that's not the case, and even in the immediate context, he's made that clear. Okay. Well, let's let's zoom out for a minute and ju- and just let's can I qualify this real quick. Just some further thoughts, okay? The biblical roles articulated in the Bible for men and women pertain to the home and in the church. So when the Bible talks about women not having a, a position of authority over men, it's really talking about the church, and then later on we'll, we'll read about it in the home. This isn't, this isn't directly applicable to like, you know, my, my, my job at the bank in town or my job at the, the school or something like that, right? God really has narrowed the context. He's talking about the church and in the home. And even though there may be some implications for other realms of society, these commands 
really only directly apply to the home and in the church. Women are called to quietly receive instruction with submissiveness in the context of the church. This means that God's good design for instruction within the church should come from appropriately qualified men rather than through women. And we're going to see that as we go into chapter 3. Married women should primarily look to their own husbands for help and instruction, since God ordains that the husband is the spiritual leader of the home. Do, Do you see how that fits with Genesis? The same thought that we don't want, you know, the, the, the stereotypical passive spiritual male doing nothing. So the roles in the church are designed to encourage men in their home to be spiritual leaders. So Paul's going to tell ladies, uh, in, in another section there of, um, of, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians that, you know, really go talk to your husband first, right? You go work that out with your husband first, and then if you guys say, hey, we're stumped here, we don't know what to do, you know, then call Pastor Terry and say, hey, we're, we're not sure what to do here. Um, but God designs husbands there to be uh, the spiritual leaders. And in fact, Ephesians is going to say that, that um, a, a husband loves his wife like Christ loves the church, and he gives himself, and he, he sanctifies her, he, he disciples her, he shepherds her. And that, guys, that's a privilege that we all have in our homes to shepherd our wives and shepherd our children if uh, if we're married and if we have children. Uh, so that's the proper conduit for uh, married women to receive instruction. However, God also has designed that older, more mature women function to encourage younger, less mature women. And in this way, godly women assist husbands and the male leadership of the church in discipleship and equipping women. And, and I'll, we'll talk about that when we get to... Uh, Titus here, but a woman primarily teaches and exercises authority toward her children in her home. And that is, if she's married and they have children, that's her primary ministry arena as her husband's helper. That goes back to Genesis. It's not good for that man to be alone. So, and with that in mind, we also remember this, okay? Having said all that, Christian women possess the same Holy Spirit, they're given spiritual gifts. And, and this is not saying that a woman's gifts and abilities should lie dormant. Not at all. They are to be active in the church and, and uh, using their gifts in appropriate ways to serve and, and uh, be a part of Scripture, but, but in ways that align with God's intention for men and women in the home. Okay? So can I, give, can I show you a picture? Let me show you a picture. I know we're out of time here because of the, the tech stuff. I'm a little bit behind. But let me just show you a picture. We'll come back. We'll pick it up next time. Okay? You don't have this picture in your notes, but this will make sense to you. Okay, so God intends that the pastors, elders, pastors and elders equip believers and provide loving leadership over the whole congregation, right? We understand that. And within that, you've got all of the believers in the church. That, that's you guys there, right? Doesn't that look just like you? I looked on the internet for hours trying to find a picture that represented all of you. And so there we go. Um, so this is the whole church engaging in the one another commands, right? This is men and women both using their gifts to serve each other and encourage each other and care for each other and, and, and walk with one another, and right? But it's, it's a whole church doing that. Now, within that whole church, what Paul is saying is, uh, in, if we think about the marriage relationship, husbands and wives, that husbands have a particular role of leadership to lovingly shepherd and instruct their wives, Okay, so, so husbands, guys, if we're married, we, we've got that role to help our wives, to help our children, um, but, but we have a, a jurisdiction. We have a stewardship from God to care for our wives, to encourage them, to shepherd them, and to instruct them. And, uh, and within that, 
women help to train with their husbands any children that are in the marriage. And that's why Paul's going to say to Titus in chapter 2, 4, and 5 that um, uh, a woman's main sphere of ministry, if she has children in her home, is to those children and to her husband. Just as she, she is involved in the local church, right? All that's going on. But within her home, that she, she's a home minister, as the scripture would tell us. And that goes on there. And then I mentioned, too, you say, well, what, what about women teaching? What about women training? Well, that absolutely needs to happen in the local church. And Titus tells us it's older women training younger women. You know, it's, it's amazing when you type in mature woman uh, in Google Images that... Um, so, uh, yeah... Um, I tried, and that's not just not representative, so, okay. Uh, but anyway, so what do they do? What do those mature women do? They shepherd and train the younger, less mature women. And, and ladies, that's where... <laughs> I'm not going to get you back after that. Um, see, see, that's that's where we need you teaching in the church. That's where we need you training. That's where we need you shepherding and, and, and exercising leadership is is not over men, but over younger women that need help. They, they need that assistance, as Titus is going to say. So, But that gives you a little bit of a visual of how this is supposed to work in the local church, okay? And so just put a comma in your notes, and uh, we'll come back next time and do a second pass and try to fill this out even more, okay? And in the meantime, you can find me a better picture. <laughs> Remember, I'm a pastor, not a, not a image finder, so... Uh, Lord, thank you for your word and, and thank you for these verses that commend that men and women both should pursue godliness. And we thank you that you've made provision in Christ to do that. Thank you, Lord, that you also give each of us, men and women, roles in the church that lead to flourishing and spiritual health. Uh, we know that uh, some of these roles are radical, as would relate to the culture. And yet we believe that your good design is wise and proper. And when we follow your design as we understand it in Scripture, it is a pathway to maturity and unity and spiritual health, both in our homes and in our local church. Father, thank you for the godly ladies that we have in our church. And thank you for how they serve and use their gifts uh, so well that they 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 uh, content themselves in the, the essential, important role that you've called them to play. And, uh, Lord, we ask uh, for the men here as well, that we would be those that, that pray, that are gentle in interacting with other people, that we interact in holiness, and that we lead with spiritual maturity and kindness that would reflect the love of Jesus. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'll strengthen our church. Thank you for the health we enjoy, uh, but we know there's more to do. So we ask for your wisdom and help as we put these things into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.